Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome to Thought Leadership Studio, episode 26, where we take the deep dive into how being a submarine commander informs leadership with author and leadership guru, John Rennie. And John is a former U.S. Navy nuclear submarine commander with a history of seven Cold War deployments. He's the co-founder, president, and CEO of Peak Demand, Inc., the premier manufacturer of critical components for electrical utilities. And prior to starting Peak Demand, Rennie led eight manufacturing businesses for three global companies. He's the author of the best-selling leadership books, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following, and All in the Same Boat, Lead Your Organization Like a Nuclear Submariner, and is also the host of the Deep Leadership Podcast. And what this episode will do for you is take a deep dive into leadership lessons uh, from leadership guru and former submarine commander, John S. Rennie, to learn his perspective on combining multiple points of view, like the theorist and the practitioner, to gain insights into the value of team members working in unison that couldn't have come from anywhere else better than living in a small metal tube underwater for months on end. So some very interesting insights. I think you're gonna find it quite fascinating. So if you haven't yet subscribed to Thought Leadership Studio, please subscribe. If you haven't left us a review yet, please leave us a review. It really helps. And if you are listening on an app, also check out the episode page. There's a lot of links to resources. There's a link to get the free marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership. Strongly recommended to help you organize the building blocks of your own strategic thought leadership and also a free 30-minute consultation for brainstorming on your thought leadership. All that's available on the episode page, plus plenty of links to information about our fantastic guest, John S. Rennie, his books, his website, his podcast. Please check it all out, all at thoughtleadershipstudio.com, and the link to the specific episode page is in the episode description. So let's dive right into the interview and enjoy. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, the host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here with leadership author, expert, and practitioner, John Rennie. Welcome, John. Hey, it's good to be here. It's good to have you here. Um, what can you tell the listener about 
your unique history of bringing theory and practice and leadership together using your experience um, on these deployments running submarine crews? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I started my career uh, as a submarine officer. I was on the USS Tennessee uh, at, towards the end of the Cold War. So I came out of I came out of the university, had a degree in mechanical engineering, went right into the fleet as an officer, served on uh, the USS Tennessee, seven, seven deployments. And, um, and then I got out. So like a lot of uh, guys that go in the military, we get out, we get recruited heavily by, you know, big corporations. And so that's what I did. I got out of the military and I went into big corporations. I ended up running eight different manufacturing plants uh, in uh, three different companies, three different global companies. Uh-huh. But one of the things that I noticed over time is that I was a sort of a different kind of leader. I was taking different approach to getting things done than some of my peers. And uh, probably about 10 years ago, I started writing about some of the leadership concepts that I had you know, embraced as a young uh, leader on that submarine and how they helped me turn around businesses, uh, you know, increase profits, increase revenues, and really turn businesses around using those simple principles that I learned under the ocean so many years ago. So really, te- about 10 years ago, I really started saying, you know what, there's, there's, I have something unique to share that is different than a lot of what people are talking about with respect to leadership. So that's when I really started uh, writing, uh, writing I have a website. I started writing blogs, started writing for different web, different uh, websites, leadership websites, and then eventually led to my first book and then a couple more books. And uh, and I also run a, po- a podcast called Deep Leadership, where I interview, you know, thought leaders uh, who are experts in leadership, whether they're practitioners or they're academics uh, or they understand the theory. So, um, yeah, so for the past 10 years, I've been sort of just trying to share all of what I learned through this unique um, background in leadership from the submarine to corporate to now as an entrepreneur, I have my own manufacturing business, which I started six years ago. So I've got a lot of pra- practical experience. Uh, and and now for the last 10 years, I've been sharing that. That's really interesting. And to me, it's fascinating from a number of points of view. And uh, we talked a little bit before the show about how my father actually was involved in refueling nuclear subs. And so I knew a little bit about them. And it's Interesting to me how it almost serves as like a metaphor for how much power is under the surface. Oh, sure. Certainly. Yeah. And, you know, what's unique about that power, too, is it's run by uh, young people who are, you know, in in our case, it was an all male crew. And probably the average age was about 22, 21, 22 years old. And uh, so you have nuclear weapons, you have a nuclear reactor and you have a, you know, $4 $4 billion submarine all being run by very young people. Uh, a lot and so, of responsibility. Yeah. And so there's power, but there's also youth and there's young people. And so you get a tremendous amount of responsibility at a very young age in these type of scenarios. And that's one of the things, you know, it's interesting. I, I had a lot of authority when I was in the military and I came to corporate my first job, you know, I, they, they had to, I had to fill out an expense report for like a stapler I purchased. And I was like, oh, wait, <laughs> you mean I can't, I don't have the authority to buy a stapler in this company? So it was weird for me to go from having, you know, responsibility for nuclear weapons, nuclear reactor to going where I couldn't even buy a stapler without a, you know, expense report. So for me, the transition coming into the corporate world was a little bit shocking uh, to see how little we uh, give people uh, authority to get their jobs done. 
Yeah, that's interesting. And and I would have thought the exact opposite in some ways, and that you should have more freedom in the corporate world where it's more of a structured line of command. But I guess if you're in the right place in that line of command, then you have control over everything underneath you on the hierarchy. And so it's just collision of youth and responsibility, which I imagine was a growth experience, both for you and those that you led. Yeah, tremendous growth experience. Think about this, you know, you I showed up to the submarine. I was probably 24 years old at the time. Uh, and then I, you know, I, I show up to uh, the USS Tennessee. She was in dry dock. She was, so she was out of the water. And uh, I had my sea bag on my shoulder. I show up to uh, to the submarine. They they show me where my rack is. I throw my bag in my rack. And one of the other officers takes me to the engine room to meet the reactor controls department. And that's the department I'm about to lead. And so I meet my senior enlisted chief petty officer and I meet the team, all of the sailors that that basically uh, maintain and operate the nuclear nuclear uh, reactor instruments, right? And to a man, everyone was experienced. They had been on multiple deployments. Uh, and my chief petty officer, my senior enlisted, was had been in the Navy almost as many years as I've been alive. So how do you lead when you're not the oldest and most experienced person in 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 the department? Yeah. And I realized the, on, the only liability in that department was me. I was the liability and I was also in charge. So it was a very unique leadership uh, challenge that I had to overcome. And, and as it turned out, that same thing happened a lot in my career when I went to take over a business and I realized I had a lot of experience in older uh, employees. And I learned from that about how to tap into that wisdom, that innate wisdom that exists in organizations. Oh, interesting. And yeah, that's something that reminds me of some of what we talk about in systems thinking and the wisdom of the system and the counter, uh, counterintuitive nature of it in some ways, too. And but one thing I'm getting from this is putting yourself in a challenge, getting into an environment where you've got to grow in order <laughs> to fill the function that you're being put in. And I'm wondering, what is what does that do for you? What's What's meaningful to you about being in these challenging situations that require personal growth? Yeah, I think that that's it's I think it's really important that we do that in our lives that we put ourselves in those situations where uh, we have to that we're uncomfortable, that we're beyond we're outside our comfort zone. We're doing things that are are difficult and sometimes um you know, almost impossible, seemingly impossible. I'll give you an example. We talked before we started the show. One of the hardest things I ever did was getting into, as part of getting into becoming a submarine officer, was going to nuclear power school. So I graduated as with an engineering degree, a mechanical engineering degree, uh, from a, a decent university. Uh, but when I showed up at, at Nuke Power School, there were the top engineers from the all over the country. We're talking you know, MIT and Caltech and Stanford and all these like Georgia Tech and all these brilliant minds in one room. And there's me, uh, the first one in my family to graduate college, right? I did not belong there, right? This was, I was way over my head and I had to, and, and in the in new power school, it's pure academics. There's no, I'm, I'm very good with my hands, right? So I can, I can fix anything. I, you know, if I can get my hands on it, I can, I can, I can work on it. But in Nuke Power School, it's 100% academic, and so I had to, I had to go up against the top engineers uh, to, to get through this program. And it's about a 40% failure rate. Uh, the people don't make it through, and so that experience pushed me to 
basically to to go up against some of the the brightest minds in the country. And I ended up coming out on top. I ended up graduating and and getting into the fleet. And many people didn't. And so when you do that, it gives you a level of confidence, right? It's a high water market in your life that you can kind of go back to when you're facing challenges again, like, well, I did that. I went, I got through nuke power school. I can get through this. I got through whatever the hard time you have in your life. You get through that. And then you have that, you, you have that confidence that you can do it again when so, it comes up next. And, and in life, it's going to come again for sure. So, so stretching yourself to get out of the comfort zone into a situation where you feel out of the water a little bit or out of, out of your gift mix zone, just a little bit enough, yeah, I heard a little bit of sense of competitiveness in there too. You think that might be part of it? Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm a very competitive individual, but I do it. I'm a quiet competitor, right? So, sure. uh, you know, I'm sort of looking around the room and like, all right, well, I'm, I'm certainly not the smartest person in this room, but can I outwork everybody? And that's, you know, what can I, what can I tap into that um, that'll lead me to success that I know I'm very good at? So what are my strengths here? Because academic strength is not one of them. So I've got to tap into something different, which is perseverance, uh, which is hard work, which is I'm not going to quit no matter what. And so I tapped into that uh, versus the guys around me were tapping into their, you know, their their knowledge. And their, you know, these were students who were top in their high school valedictorians, and they went to the top engineering schools. And I was up against them in an academic program. Well, the only way I could win was outworking them. I couldn't, I, I couldn't outsmart them for sure. But getting yourself out of the comfort zone calls you to tap into deeper levels of perseverance, which in turn builds your confidence to then go to further challenges. Am I f- kind of following that? Yeah, yeah. So you, you take a new shape, right? So you, when you stretch yourself, you don't go back. You, you end up taking a new shape. Which is which is a bigger capacity to do more difficult things. Oh, yeah. You know, when we when we started the program, I mentioned that I'm uh, currently in a doctorate program, uh, working on my doctorate for strategic leadership. I haven't been to school in 20 years. I'm 55 years old. I haven't been to school in 20 years, uh, and so but I'm stepping into an uncomfortable position to push myself, to challenge myself, to learn things that I don't know about this subject of leadership. Because even though I've been a successful practitioner for 33 years. There's things I don't know about theory that I want to learn. I want to understand. I want to be able to apply that theory and the practice uh, to be a to a, be a better influencer in the field of leadership. Well, I put you in a great position to maybe help our listeners with the analysis of the relationship between theory and practice. How do you see that? Yeah, you know, I I've always been the guy that got my hands dirty. So I've always been the practitioner. I've always been the one that would read a book and say, well, that's interesting. I wonder how I can make that happen. And so I would make it happen. So I've always been, I've had a sense of pride about being a practitioner, someone that, you know, you guys can spend time on theory. I'm going to make things happen. You know, I'm going to run my business. I'm going to increase my revenues. I'm going to increase my profits. I'm going to increase my employee engagement. That's what I'm going to do. You guys can write your, your books but I'm going to actually get things done. But the truth of the matter, that's an arrogant position to have, right? Because there is insight into this research. There's insight into these theories. There's insight into the uh, progression of, of the thought on leadership over the years to the point where if you don't understand some of these 
really good theories that have been well-researched, right, and, and have a good foundation, then you can kind of be missing out on how to, how to apply them to really, to really get the most out of your team. So I think what I've come to realize is I was sort of at a sense of pride about myself that I was a practitioner, mm -hmm. but the truth of the matter is I was, you know, shunning theory. And the, the truth of the matter is we need, we need to understand both. We need to understand, you know, what's, what's theory say, and then what works in the real world. And, you know, in, in the world of leadership, we tend to have people that are academics, so they understand theory, or we have practitioners. We have few people that can combine the two together. And that's what I'm trying to do uh, with my work. Well, isn't it important to have multiple perspectives? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and is I remember a um, conference I went to, and one of the speakers had an interesting presentation along those lines. You just reminded me of it, where he had everybody write down everything they remembered about the hall. They just what seems like a silly exercise, but everybody wrote down everything they remembered, all the sensory detail, what they saw and what they heard and what they felt walking through the hall to the, to the conference room. And then he had everybody compare and found no two descriptions were alike, number one. But for every single person in there, there was something that every other person noticed that they hadn't. Yeah. Which I think was a little bit maybe experiential learning that taking another perspective is always going to fill out your model of the world, make you more effective. 100%. In fact, if I would say, if you'd say, what's the secret to my success over the years for the businesses I've run, it's always been the idea of, of listening to the diverse voices of my team and getting that. Uh, different perspective on problems, you know, get it from the marketing guy, get it from the manufacturing guy, get it from the quality uh, person, make sure you get those different ideas that you say so that you can see a problem, not just in two dimensions, but from three dimensions, you can see it from all sides. So I think when you expose yourself to theory or, or some of the academics around your subject, you end up getting that three-dimensional view of the problem, which you might not get if you're just applying one, like 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 ex experience, uh, or in you know, as a practitioner. Yeah, maybe that extra point of view just shows you exactly where to make that little change that makes all the difference too. And uh, and of course, you know, when we're talking about thought leadership in marketing, which is what our audience is largely interested in, it's the application of leadership to marketing or leading the marketplace to a new point of view. So everything you're saying applies. And I love how your background lends itself to uh, maybe cliches about taking the deep dive and learning or what's <laughs> beneath the surface. You got all kinds of opportunities, but tell us a little more about your background and what you, what you learned in the ocean that applies now that you might not have learned any other way. Yeah, so, you know, submarine duty is, a, is sort of like the most unique um, military service that you can go into for uh, just for the reason that you're you're locked in a metal tube for in our case we would go um you know three just over three months we would be we would be deployed and that's three months without you know without surfacing so no no sunlight no you know no outside perspective so under the ocean for three months and um 
and the and and the space is cramped. So you're you're very you're working side by side uh, with the people that you're responsible for. So from a leadership perspective, it's a twenty four seven business, right? So you can't go home at the end of a of rough week. You can't get go home at the end of a day and have a beer and kick your feet up. I'll just step outside and take a break here. Nope. Yeah, there's no stepping outside. So you're in it twenty four seven. So. Uh, but part of that is, is that you get to know your team really well. So you stand these long hour, hours, uh, uh, long watches together, these hours together on watch, and you develop um, a deep relationship with the people that work for you. So you might think it's funny, but in the military, you know, we, I knew my people very well because I, I knew everything about them. I knew their all their ex-girlfriend names. I knew what their mom did, what their dad did. I knew, I knew their girlfriend's name or their wife's name. I knew uh, every, everything about them because I spent so much time with them. And so I understood what motivated them and I had to get the best out of them. And so when I came into corporate, I realized that we don't really do that. We don't get to know our people very well. We sort of, you know, the uh, salary people are in an office over here, the hourly people are down here, and we don't have a common view of the organization. We don't have a common mission. And that's one thing that we had on the submarines. We had a common, we all, we all had a common view of what our mission was, which was, you know, conduct in this case, strategic uh, deterrent operations and get home safely. We all knew that. We all understood that. We didn't have to talk about it. But in, in the corporate world, we have a lot of conflicting priorities. There isn't just one um, vision or one idea that everybody's going towards. You know, the, the sales team's focused on getting orders in, right? The, the QA team is trying to make sure there's no defects. The production team is trying to get their production numbers up. Uh, so everybody is sort of battling each other. And uh, unless you have a good general manager who's kind of getting everybody on the same page, you can actually have all these departments moving in different directions and not being uh, unified. One of the reasons I wrote this book that's behind me all in the same boat was when on a submarine, we were all in it together. We were all in the same boat. And there was no, there was no escape from, from the world that we were in. So, uh, and, and I think in sometimes in the, the corporate world, we try to escape. We try to, uh, you know, focus on what's important to us, not necessarily what's important to the organization. I saw that a lot in these silos that exist in, in a lot of businesses. So everybody being on the same page, focusing on the same mission, uh, and people that really knew each other really well was, was something that was really unique to the submarine force. I can see the power of that in corporations, because haven't we all seen so many examples of, like you said, silos where you have the frontline people who are directly in contact with the customers, but you might have a back office philosophy where you've got a certain level of management that's in the back office and they're not acting on the same information where in the submarine, obviously you're, you're all acting on the same information. You're also tightly constrained. You're unified that way. How would, how would you bring more of that dynamic to a corporation? What, how, what do you see the steps being to, get more unified and acting more in unison. Yeah. You know, I, I had my first manufacturing plant when I was 32 years old. So uh, I was fairly young as a plant manager. And when I walked into this plant, this was in South Carolina in Florence. So oh, not too far okay. from you, uh, but uh, I got there and uh, I noticed that um, the office people did office things. The production people did production things. And there was no common view of, our business. In fact, there was no common spaces. We had 
We had one break room, so both used that, but the salary people had their own bathroom, the hour people had their own bathroom. Uh, and so there was this us and them attitude that existed in that plant, right? Uh, the production people didn't know what that, what the salary people did, right? It's like those guys just seem to be wandering around drinking coffee all day long and we're actually doing the work, right? And then the, the, the salary people were like, why do they keep making defects? Why do they not making their production numbers? And so there was this us and them attitude. And I remember walking the shop floor thinking to myself, how am I going to bring these two worlds together to be like on the submarine where we had a common view and a common mission and a common uh, experience around uh, what it is we did. And um, I started doing something I call Fridays on the floor. So I, I started with just me. And the first Friday of every month, I would work four hours on the shop floor. I would, I would rotate every month to a different department. And I would just be on the line with the operators and, and, uh, and just work with them and talk to them. I would get to know them. I would get to know their struggles. I get to know what's wrong with the processes what's, what, what, and what could be improved. And I had this really deep personal connection with actually what my operators were going through on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's almost like, um, you know, this show Undercover Boss, right? You see that that's a pretty popular show, but uh, I was doing this long before Undercover Boss and, and I wasn't undercover. I was actually, you know, me going out there. Sure. But I remember I would I would call my leadership team in the office, right, at, at the end of these four hour sessions. And, and I would I would bring in lunch. And I'd say, guys, this is what I learned on, on the shop floor today. We got to do this. We got to fix this. We got to fix this. And I remember seeing the blank stares looking at me like, what are you talking about? What do you what do you mean? So they were seeing me almost like uh, like one of the hourly people, like, you know, you don't understand, you don't understand. And what I realized is that I had built this common experience. I had shared something with the operators. I had learned something and they weren't, didn't, they didn't have that same passion. So I extended that Fridays on the floor to all of the leadership team. So, so I made all the leaders go out four hours, uh, first Friday every, every month uh, to go work on the shop floor, rotating through different, different lines. That's and awesome. then- then I came in and we'd, we'd bring lunch in at uh, after that four hours and we'd sit down and we'd talk about what we learned and the ideas were were just flowed and the problems we saw and and the opportunities we learned about everything just it, it changed our whole mindset about what our business was and what it could be and suddenly the hourly people saw us as people that were trying to help them uh, do their jobs. And they saw us, they saw the difficulties that we had in the roles that we had as salary employees. We, we built a connection and we built a common view of the business and a common direction where we wanted to go. And so this, this business ended up, uh, we were runner up for manufacturer of the year one year, but uh, we set records in, in terms of uh, uh, profits and in uh, orders. And uh, we were the lead plant in our division uh, but it was all about connecting with building that common understanding of the business like we did on the submarine. So it was, it was essentially the same things we did, uh, but I did it in a way that was appropriate to a manufacturing business. So this thing called Fridays on the Floor was something I invented, you know, well, I'm I'm 55 now. I was 32 then when I made it. So long time ago. Yeah. Time yeah. flies, you know. <laughs> so, I, I love that example, John, is about dissolving boundaries to me. Mm -hmm. And I think acting as listener advocates. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast to help them with their leadership in marketing. Dissolving those kinds of boundaries really happens fully when you just get immersed in the other people's role. When you take management and they're actually out there on the floor or they're, they're there right at the transaction point with the customer. In the case of people, say, marketing on the internet, they go to the other side and 
see from the outside in. So we look at how their media, how their organization is experienced from the point of view of the customer and design it. And I think that's something that, that we as marketers in leadership and leaders in marketing have gotten away from in some cases because of the distorting effects of big data. When you start using data to target people, then you just see them as a number. But those, those are people and those people have experiences. And if we're going to lead them to a new point of view, we have to go to their point of view first. I think you're right. And I think that the other thing, too, I would say is that, you know, we think we have the we're, we, we have the best ideas because we're a maybe we're the marketing manager and we're supposed to have the best ideas because because I'm in the manager. Obviously, I've been promoted. I've got the best ideas. And um, the truth of the matter is the best ideas may not be from you. They're, they're probably right. with others. And so we have to have the ability to to listen to others listen to their view of the situation and to learn from that uh, so that we don't, you know, I, I saw a lot of, when I was in corporate, I saw a lot of leaders, I would say managers, not leaders, but managers trying to manage their business from their office and not getting out on the shop floor, not getting out with their salaried employees, not like, like a sales manager, not getting out in the field, spending time with the sales force to find out what's working, what's not working. You have got to get out and you've got to see it. One of the things they taught us in the Navy was expect what you inspect. And that means you got to get out there, you got to look at it, and you got to touch it. And I think too many people try to make decisions based on sitting in their office, thinking they're smart, and they're going to come up with a solution. And that never works. Well, and where you're going to come up with ideas without the insight, it comes from firsthand knowledge of the customer experience. Right, or right. The idea before. And isn't the customer where the real power lays? I mean, they determine the value of a service business, right? At the very least. And if they're determining the value, the more we understand their point of view. So I, I love your stories of dissolving boundaries and, and bringing the people who were behind closed doors out to the front lines to have a common base of experience. Yeah, I think so. And then you have a common language, and then you can you could put together a common um, you know, vision for the future that we all can understand. So without that common language, we're just finger pointing. And, and I think that's really important. And your story is about stepping out of the comfort zone in order to have a challenge, to meet the challenge from it and to compete from your strengths. And perseverance is one strength that you brought up that you have and to gain the confidence that you can then take and apply to the next stage. Um, tell us a little bit about your books and, and um, give us a short walkthrough of what each one would do for somebody looking to enhance their persuasion and their leadership. Sure, sure, absolutely. So um, the second book I wrote, it's a weird place to start, but I'll say that. The second book I wrote was the book I wanted to write. It's called All in the Same Boat. And I wanted to tell the stories of my experiences on a submarine under the ocean and how I applied those in all these years uh, running manufacturing businesses and how we how I use those ideas to turn around businesses. That's the book I wanted to write. So I hired a coach and uh, to help me with you know crafting my ideas, putting it in a way that's uh, marketable and what have you. And uh, one of the things he said was, don't write this book. I said, okay. He said, write another book. I go, I don't have another book in me. He's like, no, you do. And, and you, you know, I'd been writing content for about 10 years on the leadership. Mm -hmm. And he said, you have so much material here. Let's put that into a book and you'll get to learn 
what it's like to write a book. So you learn the, you experience what it's like to write the book. So I have the watch, which is this book right here was actually the first book I wrote. And that was based on a lot of content that I've already written and I put it into one book. So there's 22 short stories in that book that help you, uh, be, you know, differentiate yourself as a leader. So I took these 22 specific stories of how I deal with people to, to, to get results and I put them in one book and um, as a way of practicing or, or, or seeing what it's like to write a book. Well, that book took off and still does today. It sells, you know, hundreds of copies a month and it, it's, it's been all over the world. Awesome. Um, and and we've, in fact, we're working on a Spanish version right now. So I have the watch, which was meant to be a practice turned into be like this amazing book that just really took off. But I also learned from there how to write a book. So when I got to All in the Same Boat, which is the second book, which is really it's, it's a bigger book. It's, there's a lot more into it. You know, I break down these lessons uh, that I learned into eight, eight major themes and I, and, and it's, and there's 50 stories in this new book. So it's filled with just stories that you can understand these concepts through stories. And, uh, but I, but because I had written the first book, I had a lot more confidence in writing the second book. And I, and I didn't have, um, you know, in the first book, there was this complete fear of the unknown. What's it going to be like? How do you market it? How do you sell it? What's going to work? How do I do a product launch? How do I do a book launch? But I, but I did it. And that, and that was such good advice I got from my coach to do this one book first, learn the process. And then the second book was something that was much uh, easier to write and, and just had, it has had a huge impact with the people who have read it. So, um, so really I wrote my second, I wrote my first book as a sort of trial and it, it turned out to be something that was a, just a great learning experience. And then my my last book, the third book that I just recently uh, released, it's called You Have the Watch. And that's more of a guided journal. So applying the ideas of I, I Have the Watch in a daily guide for a leader. So in, in that book, there's uh, it breaks it down into 50 themes. And then you each day you reflect on a different facet of that theme. And you actually practice that. So because one of the things I realized is that you can't just learn leadership by reading a book. You have to read it. And you have to practice it. So that book, You Have the Watch, is meant for uh, a new leader or a leader changing roles to be able to step by step take take it through an entire year uh, and learn some leadership lessons through action. So it's a little bit of a different book than uh, the other two. Oh, sure. Well, just like riding a motorcycle and reading a book about riding a motorcycle or two <laughs> experiences. Yes. And I'm, I'm Love what you're sharing too about your experiences as an author because I know a lot of listeners are either an author or they're looking to become an author since that's so big in adult leadership. And what did you learn about just managing your time and managing your output in order to write three books as you have? <laughs> so you know, as 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 an aspiring author, you have a vision of what it's going to be like to write a book, and what it, what that is is you're in a cabin. You've got a fire in the fireplace and you have your two golden retrievers at your feet and you're just going to write and you're going to have amazing ideas and it's all going to flow and you're going to do that for a month and then you're going to be done. Well, that's not what it was like. So the way what it was like for me was anytime I had a spare few minutes, I would write some ideas down. I I uh, every time I was on a plane flight, I would I would write I'd be writing chapters and cleaning it up. So as a busy entrepreneur, as a busy business leader, I didn't have any, I couldn't take a month off to go sit in a cabin someplace and have my dogs by my feet. It, I just didn't have that time. So I wrote it um, any free time I had, and I would work on it whenever I had have a free evening or a free weekend. And, uh, and it was much more, 
probably more difficult to do it that way. But uh, one of the things is, is that uh, it, it, it's, it's one of the things that's great about that is that you can use your subconscious to help you. What do I, what do I mean by that? Uh -huh. So when you have an idea and you put it all on paper, you know, and then you go to bed at night and you're in the shower the next morning, suddenly, or you're, you're stuck, maybe you're stuck in one area in the book and your subconscious gets a chance to work it out. And it's always amazing. Like the next day, I'm like, ah, I finally figured out how I can tie these two ideas together. Right. So our, our subconscious mind is really powerful. And if you're say writing a book all in one sitting, you're not going to get that chance to let your, you know, subconscious mind work things out and then come out with a better way of saying it. So I think that's one of the advantages of the writing the book way I, the way I did. Yeah, I've noticed the same thing. I think that's common to creatives uh, in lots of fields is that you have to learn to pass things back and forth between the conscious and the unconscious mind. Because if you're just yeah. working on a conscious basis, I mean, most of the power is in you're unconscious. I mean, musicians, musicians uh, in writing music is almost purely unconscious. The idea is that people say, well, it feels like it just came through me. I didn't write it. It's just a state yeah, of yeah. unconscious creativity. And your passion's really coming through about writing. I can tell that you, you're good at it and you like it too. Yeah, absolutely. And then one thing that my coach taught me was this thing called, and, and this is really important if you're doing anything creative, is that there's, you have two, two people on your shoulders. You have the muse and you have the critic, right? The muse is saying, this is great. Keep going. This is a great idea. Everybody's going to love it. You know, this is, this is a really important point. No one's talking about this is great. And the critics over here saying, ah, no one's going to read this. This is stupid. This is a weak point. Um, you know, who are you to, to, to be a leadership author? Who are you to write this point? No one's going to read this. And so you have those two conflicting uh, uh, things in your head when you're writing and both are important. So if you just had the muse, you'd write a bunch of garbage and you'd say, this is great and everybody's gonna love it. The critic helps you, you know, yeah, just say, wait a second, you know, this isn't yeah. right. You've got to take, take a second look at this. But if you just listen to the critic, you're never gonna write either. So you have to allow these two to play with you when you're writing. And so you have to recognize when one's talking a little louder than the other. And sometimes I think uh, in writing is, you, and it may be this way with writing music too, is that you need to stop, right? And just take a break because right. you know one of those voices is maybe too loud at the moment. And you maybe need to sit back and, 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 and take a rest a little bit. And, uh, uh, and I think that's those, being able to tap into those two and understand how they're playing in your mind is really important to writing, I, I think. You reminded me of uh, Walt Disney's creativity strategy. And speaking of someone who was a genius at both being creative and successful in business, and yeah. the he's created, look at it now, you know. And, but he actually had a room separate for just dreaming up ideas the muse part of the, yeah. the very visual of looking off into the distance and seeing, you know, this vast visions of future creative projects. And they had another room called the um, realist that they would take these dreams too, and then start to, you know, package them into what's doable as very kinesthetic, very action oriented. Let's break the dream down into steps so that first step might be, as you said, a step out of the comfort zone, but a confidence building step you can mm. do. But then, like you said, the critic, you had the third room of being the critic. And 
then he kept them separate. So it's like there was a sequence of going from one to the others because otherwise yeah. a critic steps in, like you said, while you're creating and interrupts the creative process. Right, right. So you kind of hold it off in the distance until, hey, your turn's coming up, critic. You'll be there pretty soon. Of course, if people yeah. talking to yourself. Nowadays, you just assume you have a Bluetooth earpiece in, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's funny because, because I had that experience with the first book. When I wrote the second book, I saw it much more clearly. I'm like, I'm seeing these two people talking to me. And I'm like, I can hear the voices in my head saying, you know, go, go, go. This is great. Keep going, keep going. And then, whoa, whoa, this is this is a problem, you know. And I think sure. that's, um, and that's why, you know, writing the third book was just, it was really straightforward and simple because I've like I've got I've gotten the reps in. You know, I like I work out. I I have got a home gym and I like to weightlift and and I you know it it's it's if, if you do the same exercise over and over again, your body knows how to do it. You know, and you're able to do more and more with it. And so I think that's the same thing with uh, with our skills, leadership skills, writing skills. The more you do it, musical skills, the more you do it, the more it becomes muscle memory, it becomes part of who you are and right. something you, it becomes subconscious and not conscious. And so you're doing it, uh, you know, based on, uh, yeah, like your subconscious, it's, it's, it's an innate skill at, 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 at some point after you practiced over and over again. So it's like digging deep trenches in those neurological pathways. It is. Point. Yeah, it is yeah. such that you don't really have to engage a lot of conscious thought to be able to do these things it's 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 not it becomes more natural that's awesome so, so some parting thoughts for our listeners um tell them how they can find you and get your stuff yeah so everything i have is on uh, johnsrenny.com and my books are there uh there's lots of blog posts and writings and musings about uh, leadership also links to my podcast which is called deep leadership is on there so if you are a leadership geek like I am, you'll love it because we interview some of the the, the greatest minds in leadership and uh, on that podcast. So uh, yeah, johnsrenny.com is everything there. Uh, and then my social media links are on that page as well. I'm very active on Twitter uh, and I'd uh, love to you know, connect with anyone who's listening in that is interested in anything that I'm doing, especially if, like you mentioned, a lot of marketers are thinking about writing a book. Or if you've, yeah. if you've thought about it and you want to, you know, you think you want to take it to the next level and you're kind of got some questions, I'm happy to answer questions uh, uh, related to that whole process. And, uh, and, you know, what's great about book writing is that the number one thing you have to know how to do is market it. So right. if you're a marketer, yeah. you're already in a good position. So That's what we're all about around here. Yeah. So if you, the listener, are listening on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, I got John's links right underneath the player. And if you're on an app, there is a link to the episode page in the episode description. Just hop on the link and we'll have everything about John there. Really appreciate you having me on the show, John. It's been very inspiring and insightful. No, thanks. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Thought Leadership Studio. enjoyed the interview with John S. Rooney, leadership author and former submarine commander. Have some links to his books on the episode page at thoughtleadershipstudio.com. So if you're listening on an app, click on the link in the episode description that'll take you there and check out his books. I have the watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. And all in the same boat, lead your organization like a nuclear submarine. 
And John also has a third book called You Have the Watch, A Guided Journal. So thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach, consultant, marketing consultant, owner of Fifth Level Web Digital Agency as well. If you have needs in marketing and making a greater impact, would love to connect with you. I'll offer a 30-minute free consultation or brainstorming session and the information and the link to set it up is on the episode page at thoughtleadershipstudio.com which you can find in the episode description and that will also include a link to get the free marketer's guide to strategic thought leadership so that you can start organizing your own thought leadership more effectively check it out so thanks again for listening and i look forward to seeing you next week Thought Leadership Studio.